You're listening to Art Snap, a podcast giving you a quick skim of famous works of art. Hey, this is Zach. And this is Claire. Hey, Zach. So what do you have for us this week? Hey, Claire. So this week's piece looms over you at over 30 feet high. It's about 33 feet wide, so it's massive. It's crafted of dark steel, bronze, and marble. It's an incredible show of what this artist can really do at scale and perhaps also a glimpse inside of their dark mind. Oh, and if you're an arachnophobe, it's probably not going to be your favorite piece. So, any guesses? Oh, I think you gave it away. I think we're going to be looking at the giant spider sculpture by Louise Bourgeois. (laughs) Yep, that's it. I thought you might know this one. So it's Louise Bourgeois' famous spider sculpture. It's entitled Maman. It has eight legs. Some of them are Mm -hmm. twisted and textured, protruding from the sculpted body. I mean, you'd hope there would be eight. Uh, It almost kind of dances (laughs) on these pinpoint kind of tapered feet that stick into the ground. And it was created in about 1999 for the grand opening of the Tate Modern Museum in London. And six bronze editions have popped up in other parts of the world since then. Ah, so how old was our artist? How old was Louise Bourgeois when she created this? Oh, she was almost 90 years old. Can you believe that? I hope I'm half as good at 90. (laughs) Right. So it's always been one of my favorite sculptures ever since I first saw it in person at the Hirshhorn Gallery in Washington, D.C. and learned about the artist. You know, her strength, her determination, and perhaps her slightly dark side really drew me into her works. Yeah, I remember seeing it there also, and it struck me that you're able to walk around it. You were able to walk even under it, and part of the experience was seeing that underside. Mm -hmm. Uh, But tell me more. I want to know more about the dark side of hers. Yeah, of course you do. So, I mean, (laughs) I think all artists probably pull from a depth of emotion that really comes out in their work, but for Louise, her works were the culmination of many years of really a troubled childhood. I think it's Uh, honestly, uh, yeah. Troubled childhoods do seem to produce a lot of good art. Yeah, Mm. seriously. But that's definitely a whole other podcast that we do (laughs) not have time for. But here she was. She was born in France in 1911. She came into Europe um, in crisis, really. World War I was just on the horizon and began when she was just three years old. Mm. On top of this, her father was a bit of a philanderer. He was having an Mm. affair with Louise's tutor for over a decade, who actually lived in the house with them. So, I mean, I would gather the relationship between her mother and her father was pretty tense. Yeah, I would imagine. And I'm sure everyone's trying to act like nothing wrong is going on. Exactly. And to be a young woman and to be left confused and alone, you know, as she grew older, her mother became quite ill. And remember, her mother was one of her best friends. I mean, she loved her mother. So eventually, Louise would be her caregiver for many years until she died when Louise was just 22. Wow, that had to have been so traumatic for her and, you know, coupled with her father's emotional absence. I think it was, and it seems to have left her with a really deep sense of abandonment, something you see as a theme throughout much of her life's work and something she talks about. Not a lot, but she does talk about it. Um, But despite all of this, she did move to New York in about 1938. She took on the very male-dominated art scene throughout the 1950s and 60s. I mean, I know we've talked about before, and she's made a name for herself. She really persevered and didn't stop. Yeah, okay, so she's surrounded by um, these male artists, like we're thinking Max Ernst, Marc Chagall, Marcel Duchamp, right? 
Yeah, that's the same crowd. And she fought to be seen as an equal at the table. In fact, there's this really great photograph of her sitting in a room with this group of people. And they're all, all the men, these artists, are sitting around this long boardroom table. And she's actually sitting in a small chair kind of against the wall in the corner. And it's mm. kind of a metaphor for the fact that she was in the room, but she really wasn't at the table in the way that they um, they were for so long. Wow. Well, uh, so where does this spider come from? Well, growing up, she began making prints and drawings as part of her work to support the family tapestry repair business. This was work that she grew up seeing her mother do. It was weaving, it was spinning, it was textile repairs. Oh, yeah. So her money, her mother did make money weaving the tapestries, right? Well, she repaired tapestries, and people would bring her the damaged tapestries, often from water or age, and she would expertly kind of match the colors and the fibers and the images together. So Ah, yeah, yeah. So I remember reading that the water damage that usually occurred on the bottom of a tapestry, Louise and her mother would find themselves repairing, you know, those bottom sections, and it's often images of people's feet more than anything <laughs> yes as i'm sure you've seen many european tapestries told stories through the composition of like people there were animals maybe horses and they would be bordered with plants and vines and flowers so that's kind of the imagery that was very common traditional so helping her mother repair and weave those images yes including feet uh, that was kind of her earliest training that's so interesting but yeah, back to our spider. So she's linking that to her mother, right? Weaving, spinning, spider. Uh, yeah. You know, and just, I just want to say, I can't even imagine that meticulous work that it had to have taken to not just weave something, but to match an antique tapestry and join all the threads of color to like a new thread and then create a continuation. I tried knitting once and I was really trying my best. I was trying to be part of this like elite knitting club and you're not just supposed to like tie the yarn together if it breaks. You have to join the fibers and actually kind of spin them around each other a certain way if you're doing it right, of course. So Claire, maybe not your calling. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it was not, no. <laughs> well, and that's what makes this a very skilled and technical process. And so she got to do that, but she was also kind of creative in that same way trying to match everything up. But in 1947, when Louise was just in her mid-30s, we saw her draw her first couple of spiders. They're in ink, they're in charcoal. It's a little bit of foreshadowing of what would come decades later. Well, so who knew her little drawings of spiders would one day inspire this 30-foot sculpture? I guess uh, the spider image was just kind of a private idea of hers, kind of just following, lurking throughout her life, waiting for its moment in time. Yeah, I guess so. But meanwhile, Louise was, again, tenacious. So she was building her career and also channeling this intense field of emotions that, you know, was rooted in that childhood we talked about. So, you know, she saw the emotions and the ideas inside of her as the medium, not the materials that she was crafting with. Uh, I think she once said something like the intensity of her emotions were too much to handle. And that's why she transfers it into sculpture. And that's why she does everything that she does. Hmm. So that spider sculpture being made so late in her life was kind of this culmination or like her swan song, like her, her spider swan song. <laughs> uh, it's like the ode to her mother. Yeah, you nailed it. Hence the name. Maman means mother in French. It's about the strength and the power that she saw in her mother. At one point she said of her mother, 
She was clever. She was patient, soothing, reasonable, dainty, subtle, indispensable, neat, and as useful as a spider. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. To say that about a person. That's really powerful. Uh, Earlier, you mentioned those spiders were also made of marble. Uh, Where do we see marble? Yeah, great catch. So under the body, the large-scale spider carries a sack of marble eggs. And I don't know if she had an idea behind the eggs, but I like to think that she saw them as part of the life force that she kind of identified in both herself and her mother, something that maybe she bore and created on a daily basis. So have you seen that documentary about her? Yes, I love it. It's called The Spider, The Mistress, and The Tangerine. It has great clips of her talking about her work and her life. In fact, one of the quotes that stood out to me was, I transform hate into love. That's what makes me tick. Hmm. Uh, You know, she was so full of rage, I think, but she found a way to channel it into something really life-changing. Well, I'm curious, what made you pick this piece? I don't know, Claire. I think it's just that she never stopped creating and created through her greatest life challenges. Um, You know, she may have never overcome them, but her energy and her deep connections to her pieces are really evident. Um, And she had over eight decades as a working artist. Um, Plus, I like scale. I like big, big sculpture. I Mm. think that's really fantastic. But, you know, in 2006, at the age of 95, she became the highest paid living woman artist after a spider sold for $4 million at Christie's. Wow. Wow. Okay. And so then she passes away just a few years later in 2010. Yeah, that's right. And then another spider sold 13 years later for nearly $35 million. Oh, wow. yeah, she's come a long way since she left her roots in France and started her new life abroad. Wow. Now, so I really need to see some more of these spiders in person. Where can we do that? Well, you've got a few options. Um, internationally, you can see them at uh, the Tate Modern in London, um, the Guggenheim in Babal, Spain, the National Gallery of Canada in Ottawa, Uh, the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville, Arkansas, of all places. Uh, But the closest spider to us is Washington, D.C., the National Gallery of Art in the Sculpture Garden. So are they all the same? Like they're all cast from the same mold? Well, the original Maman was made of steel, but there are six editions cast in bronze that have since popped up in other parts of the world. Um, And there are others besides Maman in different sizes and forms that she created through the last decades of her life. You know, some are crouching, crawling, some are big, some are small. I saw one that goes kind of crawling up a wall. So Ah, yeah, a lot of variety. (laughs) I can't even imagine how they're moving these sculptures around so big, so heavy. Yeah, lots of pieces. In fact, I found a great YouTube video that shows them putting together some of the largest ones that are actually dismantled and put together by crews on site over multiple days using big cranes and heavy machinery. Yeah, some great videos out there showing the installation process. Very cool stuff. All right, we need to go. Let's go. Okay, let's do a field trip. Thank you so much for bringing us this one. And thankfully, it did not give me any creepy crawlies like I thought it might. If you'd like to learn more about the work of art and the artist, check us out on Instagram, artsnap.pod. If you liked hanging out today and talking about art, rate us and subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. See you next time. 